Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. This is the 19th C podcast. Kieran Marsh, Nathan Drudy, back with you for another week. Drudster, good to have you company as always. Yeah, very, very excited to be here, KM. And good to have the company of this week's guest. We've spoken to a great many number of golfers so far in the 100, 100 odd episodes we've plowed through to date, Drudster, but never have we had a winner from the weekend join us on a Monday night. And I'm yes. pleased to say it's not what we intended when we organized this chat about three weeks ago, but he's done us a huge favor in getting up at the Australian amateur over the weekend. I speak of course of our newest Australian men's amateur champion, uh, good Queenslander, Louis Dobler. Louis, welcome to the 19th tee. Thanks for joining us. Thanks fellas. Thanks for having me. Now, look, what we would usually do is work chronologically through the career. And we generally kick off by asking the, uh, the guest of their first ever golf memory and how the journey with the great game started. But it seems odd to uh, let everyone wait 35 minutes to get to your win over the weekend. So I think it would make most sense if we start with your new, uh, your new crown of the Australian men's amateur and, and we'll go back to the start after that. Let's talk about what happened uh, over the weekend. First and foremost, how does it feel? I mean, going into that final day, five shots back, it's maybe not necessarily a thought you had entertained or bit wanting to put your best foot forward, but to walk away after what seemed like a crazy day uh, as the newly crowned Australian amateur. Yeah, it's um, yeah, definitely new to me. I think it's only just probably sinking in now. Um, you know, at the time, it was a little bit of a shock when I, you know, walked off that 18th green knowing that I'd won, but it's been a um, – oh, it, was, it was a great week, and I was lucky enough to have my good mate, uh, Will, on the bag, who flew down from um, my home club here at Brookwater. Um, yeah, the day was pretty crazy. You know, you're always optimistic about, you know, trying to win and being in contention. But um, when it actually happens, it's probably quite a different feeling. But yeah, it's a I'm sure we've got a few questions here, but the one I want to lead off with is uh, the Texas wedge, the putter onto the 72nd hole. What were the nerves like? Because you put yourself in a position where it was almost uh, insurmountable, your lead, but clearly still a few nerves when, you, when, you, when you're green side in a difficult lie and you pull the putter to, to be safe. Talk us through the, the nerves sitting over that ball, knowing that you, you probably had a shot here to seal it without doubt. Yeah, so um, at the start of the week, I, I was lucky enough. My coach, Grant Field, was down there um, and he was down looking after a few of the QIS players. And, you know, we, we went through as the practice rounds went on and established that around the greens there, there's a few quite, you know, tight little tricky up and downs that you, you might find yourself, whether you like it or not. Um, it's just the nature of that golf course. And I think by my pulling out the putter in a spot like that was pretty important. Um, and more of a percentage play, you know, the other shot you probably could hit the high lofted one. But, um, you know, as the week went on, the more of those shots you got, I think the value of getting them up and down was quite, you know, quite valuable. So, yeah, there was plenty of nerves. I, I kind of knew where I was sitting going down the last, but, um, you know, you try not to think about that. You're trying to get that next one or, you know, either just save a par or, you know, try to sneak a birdie in. But, yeah, it was a pretty um, pretty daunting little putt. What about taking a step back even further, Louis? Um, I mean, going into the final round as well, you, you had to chase down the, the local man uh, in Jack Thompson. Um, of course, didn't have his have his best day on the course there. But um, what were what were your thoughts going into the final round, knowing that you had to chase down someone who was in pretty good form to uh, to walk away with the victory? Um, it was it was actually quite fun. I think I've always liked um, you know it's always been a bit of a challenge to chase that chase that one person down or whether it's yeah, even being, you know, 40th trying to get to 30th or 40th trying to get to 20th, I think there's something to be said about trying to climb a leaderboard. And I think um, after those first three rounds, I, I knew that my game was there and, you know, by, by able to give myself, give myself quite a few chances um, on that final round, it kind of, I think I was able to put a bit of pressure on. Um, 
and it was yeah it, it all just unraveled quite nicely for myself the the final round i mean in, in many ways for you louis it was um I guess largely uneventful, which is which is quite good in many ways. You, you ended up with seventy two under par. There, three birdies and a bogey. I mean, a lot of pars, but that's um, that's some pretty pretty solid golf there. Was there a moment that you you knew that you'd you'd won it? I mean, as, as I'm sure you're probably going to say when when the trophy was in your hands or when that putt dropped on eighteen. But was there a moment where you sort of thought, oh, I'm I'm pretty well off here? Maybe after that birdie on seventeen. Yeah, the the one on seventeen was pretty important. I think that hole can be. It can be quite a, I guess, scary hole when, as the week's gone on, because the greens start getting firmer, that water comes into play a little bit down by the green. Um, and early on that week, I was actually um, trying to get it probably a little bit too fancy into the green. And I ended up coming up short and hitting it in the piss. And um, on that final round, my mate Will and I were just joking about that, and that kind of settled the nerves, just kind of saying, you know, you don't want to be in there again kind of thing. <laughs> Um, so now we, we were lucky, got a good number and hit a good shot in, but yeah, I hold the putt there. And that was for me and my mate, Will, that was probably for me, almost cementing a little bit of a, I guess, a buffer down the, down the 8th. Um, and it's it's not just down the 8th, but around that whole golf course, there's so many options. Like if you want to hit driver down, you know, get a bit more aggressive, you can, but at the same time, you know, as a, as a tournament goes on, you know, you want to give yourself as many opportunities as possible. But yeah, that, that one on 17 was pretty important to me. How did it rate, Louis, comparatively? I mean, it's certainly not the first amateur crown that you've won, not even the first national amateur crown that you've won, having, uh, having conquered the New Zealand amateur back in 2016, which I'm sure we'll get to later, but you're also the reigning Queensland and Tasmanian amateur open champion back in December. You, you uh, you were crowned the Port Phillip Open Amateur Champion. How, how did this one compare to a number of the other amateur crowns you've secured, and being the you know your national amateur? Um, oh, you probably you've just given me some goosebumps then, but it's like it does rate very highly, and you know I'd say it, it would be sitting number one by far on the on the resume. But I think they're all special, but this one it, it just has that ring to it. I think boys. And and I suppose now for the benefit of the listeners who might not necessarily be um, deep in the amateur scene, what what does it mean to be the Australian amateur champion? What doors does this open for for Louis Dublin moving forward? Um, you know, from on a personal level, I think it's a it's a big tick on the I guess you know bucket list or whatever you want to call your little golfing career. But I think you know. Personally, that's probably been quite a big thing. It's a bit, bit of a stepping stone, you know, internally. But I know, you know, even the amount of phone calls and messages I've had over the last few days have been pretty crazy. And it's crazy how you can leapfrog and open up a door here and there. And, you know, hopefully it just means bigger and better things as the year goes on, more opportunities. And, you know, it's not just getting the opportunities. It's trying to take advantage of those, you know, once they're presented. Um yeah, it's. I don't know. I feel like, as most golfers are, you're always looking for that next thing, and you know, I know it's pretty soon, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm already looking at, you know, a few more things are becoming real as it's going on. I can imagine it's certainly steering some conversation towards uh, one ultimate question, which, which we won't pop on you now. We might, uh, we, we might let you relax into this chat for twenty or thirty minutes before we ask her what the conversation is around turning professional. I want one more question in the now before we shift it back to the past. This, this class um, that you're kind of working your way through, whether it's you know, the, the names that we've spoken about already in, in this tournament, Jack Thompson uh, obviously stumbled on the last day but had a ripper. Jeffrey Guan, uh, the young young man from New South Wales, flew home on the final day. You only have to look back at the last couple of years in terms of um, Jed Morgan, who you, you're quite close with, Elvis Smiley back in 2019, uh, 2018. It's an incredible kind of group um, that's all around you. What level of motivation does it give you to be the best of that group? Because one thing we see as common, Louis, is – it's a great community golf and you always seem to support and have each other's backs, but it's also an incredibly competitive one that when push comes to shove and, and you're out there up against each other, there is no love lost. Yeah, very true. I think um, in my opinion, I think the, 
the amateur scene coming through now is, you know, very exciting. Um, and I think, you know, being good mates with Jed and Elvis, you know, we're all in the same squad. We're training most Mondays together. You know, having that competitive atmosphere is something that I certainly appreciate because it's not often you're, you know, you've got your mates there, but you're trying to flog them. Um, but I, I do think it's quite an exciting time for Australian amateur golf. There's a lot of, even Jeffrey, like he's 16 or 17 maybe. And, you know, to be coming second at an Aussie amateur at that age is seriously impressive. So I think the depth is actually getting a lot better as well. You know, there's a lot of, a lot more guys that are have, having chances to win every week. And, you know, there's something to be said about the, you know, national programs, how, you know, Aussies are getting, I guess, breeded through the systems. And, um, you know, although we haven't had many events to play over the last, you know, 12 months, it's been a, um, you know, you've kind of, you've kind of been able to see who's, who's taking it seriously. And I think over that time, there's been a lot of guys that have made a bit of a breakthrough or so, yeah, having, yeah, having those boys around is, is actually, yeah, I don't like losing. I don't know many people that do, but there's something about losing to someone like Jed that annoys the shit out of me. <laughs> I reckon he'd say the same thing about you as well, to be honest. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he did when we had him on uh, a couple of weeks ago. Let's go right back to the beginning, Louis. Uh, obviously, um, we could talk about the your win on the weekend for a long time, but let's go right back to the beginning, mate. Where did it all begin for you? What's your first memories of golf? Um, so I think... I must have been eight or nine, and it was a bit of a family day out, I think. Um, my mum, my dad, and my sister, we all went to a driving range, which is probably 20 minutes from where I live now. And I just remember, like, I played a lot of sports growing up, but when I played golf, I kind of, there was something about it that was so hard, and I just, I, I couldn't actually, I don't know, I couldn't grasp that I wasn't good at it. And I just wanted to, you know, my mum started at the same time as me. So I just wanted to keep going back. And um, we went back to that driving range, I think, a few times. And that Christmas, I think my mum bought me a set of, like, it was five Dunlop golf clubs for 100 bucks. I remember she told me. And from then, we just kind of played at Oxley Golf Club um, through the weeks amongst, you know, busy sports schedule and athletic schedule. And I just, yeah, I, there was something about it that was just not easy. And I, that's what I loved. You said you picked it up at the age of eight or nine. You're 19 now. I mean, that's a hell of a transformation in 10 years from picking the picking a golf club up for the first time to winning the, winning the Australian amateur. And I mean, I mean, Jesus, when, when you were uh, 16, you were winning the, if I've done my maths right, 16, you were winning the NZ amateur. So you've picked up the game pretty bloody quickly, if you don't mind, Louis. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually funny. Like, I think, I feel like I started it really early, but, you know, when I first went over to America, I played a couple of, like, US kids, world juniors and stuff. And, you know, there's kids over there that have been playing since they were literally, you know, as soon as they could walk, you know, they had a club in their hand. And um, and in my family, we didn't really have, apart from, you know, second cousins overseas, you know, I didn't have any family that played golf. Like, mum or dad didn't play. So, for me to actually got into it was quite, I think, interesting and at that age, golf's not a not a cool sport. It's you know you want to be flogging someone on the field or um, trying to run faster than someone or you know there wasn't there wasn't that cool element to golf. And I think that's you know as I've grown up, I've seen a lot more um, you know participation by schools and and whatnot for the game of golf, which I think I find that really cool because you know it grows it grows the game, but it also you know, it makes golf cool if more people are doing it. Louis, on this show, we've, we've spoken, as I said, to a, a great many number of Australian golfers and, and over time, they all seem to fall neatly into one of two cari- uh, categories and that's either the, the young uh, prodigious athlete who was really good at a whole number of sports uh, and then kind of towards the back end of the teenage years fell into golf and, and chose that and decided that was going to be the path. Mm-hmm. Or it's the person who it's, it's seemingly almost written um, that they were always going to be good at the game. And, and I find it remarkable that you, you touched on the point that no one else in your family really plays it, which makes me think that it's all, it was almost meant to be that you fell into golf. And I, I'm curious, therefore, 
who was it from an early age for you? You're making that jump from picking up the game at eight or nine to winning a New Zealand amateur within, you know, um, seven or eight years. Who's that person who first sees something in Louis Dobler and starts to foster that, that talent that was probably sitting just beneath the surface? Um, I think no matter what, like my mum and dad have always been the biggest supports that I've had. Um, they've always believed and they've always given me an opportunity to do what I love. And, you know, they, you know, nothing I say will ever be able to tell them how much I appreciate that. But, you know, the one person that was really important to me who actually recently passed away, his name was Josh McIntosh. He, um, it would have been, I would have been playing for a couple of years when I met him and he, he was a member of Brookwater when I first kind of started getting into, you know, club comps and whatnot. And he was probably the, the person that believed in me the most. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, December last year, he passed after a bit of a battle with a few health issues. And, um, you know, for me now, I, I dedicate, you know, my career to him. My, you know, he, he, he kind of gave, gave me that little bit of a shot to chase what I wanted to do and kind of was able to show me, like, that I did have a little bit of something different. I wanted to ask you about Josh because I obviously doing a little bit of research um, before having a chat to you tonight. I was reading a few, uh, through a few things and, and particularly a few photos um, that you had shared recently. And, and I, 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 I'm conscious that it's obviously probably still quite raw and it's something you're very close to, but also to the point you've just made, it was obvious um, without even needing for you to say it then how influential he was in not only your career, but seemingly quite an infectious personality. I noticed, um, you know, that the, the post you, you you did when he sadly passed. Um, there was a comment there from from Ricky Fowler of all people talking about, um, you know, how how touched he was to have met him and spent some time with him, and clearly an individual who, um, a little bit larger than life, loved the game, and and that was infectious on other people. So, what what kind of mark do you think he leaves on you moving forward, Louis, in terms of? a little bit of not an obligation, but but a drive and a desire for you to kind of make sure that your talent is realized on behalf of Josh in many ways. Yeah. So, so yeah, you guys work with um, Cobra Puma, right? Yeah. Well, we do, we do have a, a relationship with, with the great guys at Cobra Puma. They, yeah, uh, they're, they're a sponsor of this program, a fantastic, uh, fantastic mob. And yeah, a, a nice working relationship with the team at Cobra Puma. Yeah. Awesome. So, Josh actually used to work. He was a sales rep for Cobra Puma Golf up in Queensland. And, you know, they probably don't like me telling you guys or telling everyone this, but he used to give me all the samples and used to kick me out with, with all the gear. And, <laughs> and a lot of that was for him. He, and I, I mentioned it earlier, like golf was never cool at a young age, but when you've got someone like, for me, Josh, um, it was through the eyes of Ricky and at the PGA on the Gold Coast, I think it might've been like 2014, 2015, but I was quite young and I was lucky enough to, I got to caddy in Ricky's group and that's how I got to meet. Yeah. Ricky through, it was kind of through Josh. I think he pulled a few strings to get me into that group. And that week we all went out to dinner and there was, there was this element to, you know, this rock star lifestyle that Ricky had that Josh kind of influenced, you know, on me. And I just found that the most cool thing, like, you know, not golf's just not, it's not this old person's game that you have to be super mature and you have to, you know, wear white socks at a golf club and all that kind of bullshit. <laughs> uh, you know, Ricky brought in, you know, flat bill hats and Josh was an unbelievable sales rep for, and I think if you talk to anyone there, like, he would have done some serious numbers for that company and, you know, seriously built them for Australia. And that was through the eyes of Ricky. You know, he was a, he was able to sell, you know, this new style of golf. And I just caught on to that because, you know, wearing, wearing a flat hat playing golf was something a bit different. And yeah, these bright colors and orange drivers and, you know, that kind of grabbed me and that was all through, yeah, Josh's eyes and, he was, he was always a pretty good golfer and he kind of got me, um, <laughs> oh, there's, probably, there's some stories that I probably shouldn't say, but it's funny. He treated me like a little kind of brother 
when I was literally 10, 11 years old. Um, I remember those trips that he'd come back from from Vegas after being at like a um, like a PGA show with Cobra and he'd be drinking beers, be on the horses. And I was this little 11-year-old just kind of, you know, finding this like the best thing ever. Like I felt like a, I was a old, cool person and it kind of gave me a bit of a style for, for golf and I do, I do owe a lot to him and I think, you know, there's a lot of things that I wish I could say now, but it's, it's yeah, too late and I kind of owe my, you know, my being to him. Isn't it, uh, I mean, first and foremost, I want to say that it sounds like Josh would have been an incredible interview on this podcast. I mean, there's some stories there, I think, that you've uh, <laughs> probably for good reason, Louis, you've barely scratched the surface of, but I'm, uh, I for one, am, am, I suppose I feel a great sense of regret getting to know him in the last two or three minutes that we didn't get a chance to chat with him here because he sounds like uh, quite, a, quite an amazing fellow. I think it's quite, it's fascinating really that, it's clear how much of an influence he had on you at a really pivotal time. Yeah. You were obviously an incredibly talented young player, but to your point, golf wasn't appealing. In fact, it probably did its best to push you away in many respects. But if it weren't for the, um, you know, the, the gentle nurturing of a guy who was just willing to take you under his wing, we may not see, you know, the incredible amateur career that you've had. And I'm sure what's going to be a promising professional career. And it seems a, um, you know, you, you say there's so much you wish you could have said, but I'm sure that, um, you know, he'd probably be telling you that all he wants you to do is go on and realise your potential. Exactly right. Yeah, you've, you've got the nail on the head there. I think, yeah, as I've said, I, I owe a lot to him and I, I want to, you know, not only to him, but to my, myself, my family, I want to prove that, you know, I have, I do have something and, you know, to be able to show that on a, on a bigger stage would be, you know, I know he'd be watching over and, be having a little smile and probably having a couple of beers. Now, Louis, uh, we didn't tell you um, this, but our main source of research for any guest that comes on this podcast is Instagram. And the one thing that we do like to go, uh, we, we like to do is go trawling through uh, right back to specifically their first photo, but anything else that catches our eye along the way. But we'll go back to your very first photo. And I don't even know if you know what this is or if you're scrolling through right now, but it is you and Ricky Fowler uh, on a putting green. You've got the orange shirt on. You've got the flat brim cap on as well. He's got the checkered pants, and and it's all bright orange. It's all very Oklahoma State. What's uh, tell us the story behind that one? Play, I'm assuming you're playing golf with Ricky at that point. Yeah, so that was um, that was the first time I met him. That was at the, as, as I was saying before the the PGA. Oh, I can't even remember what year it would have been. Maybe, yeah, 2014 or something, and. That, that day I got to caddy uh, for one of the amateurs in the Pro-Am group and there was a hole that, um, it was a little part three. I think it's like the, must be the second hole at um, Royal Pines. It is. Long yeah. part three with the water over the back left. That's the one, yep. And um, Ricky kind of, you know, nudged us that we should, all, like there was three juniors in the group that we should all kind of play the hole with the group. Um and I was shitting myself. That was probably the most nervous I've ever been. <laughs> you know, you don't want to embarrass yourself in front of a rock star. But, um, that was, you know, that, that's something that I'll never forget. And that was, you know, a pretty fun memory for me because I had Josh with me. And, yeah, that, that kind of opened my eyes up to, you know, making this, this golf thing pretty cool. Did you, did you play the hole all right? Or what happened there? Did you make birdie? I, I actually think I parred it. I hit it. <laughs> I hit Ricky's, it must have been like a six iron or something. It would have been like three times on body length. And I hit it over the green, hit a good chip. And I think I made like an eight footer from memory. Beautiful. There you go. It's incredible because anything over the back on that hole is a dead. So the you fact got, that you've managed you to get up and down there for a par is incredible. Yeah. I, I think my dad might have that on video somewhere. So I'll have to, I'll have to pick that up. So if you find it, flick it through. And that's a great bit of Instagram. Content for, for for the promo for this episode. Um, just a little bit more on Ricky because it's fascinating. I mean, we don't we haven't really had many um, guests on here who have who have been mates, I guess, with PGA superstars. Uh, I mean, look, Ricky obviously going through a few troubles at the moment. I mean, he's not playing the best of golf. Me and Marshy have got a a little. Is it? I don't even know if it's a wager, Marshy, whether he's going to qualify for the 
qualify for the Masters. I'm still holding out belief, but he's making it very, very difficult for me. Um, tell us, I, I suppose, about your relationship. What's Ricky brought to you? I suppose, I, I mean, you'd class him as a mate. You've played golf with him. You've, you've met him a few times. I mean, do, has he given you much sort of guidance about anything, any tips, et cetera? Yeah, so I was, I was lucky enough. I was over there, I think, 2018. Me and my dad went over. And it turned out, I think there was a tournament down um, in Jupiter where kind of the, the direction where he lived. I messaged him after not seeing him for probably well, it was a little while, um, and he he walked in my dad and I to stay at his house for a couple of nights, and we actually got to play golf at his home club medalist, <laughs> um, which was yeah, it all sounds like a bit of a bit of a dream really now, but um, yeah, we got to play golf there, and I think you know I've been lucky enough to know someone like Ricky or even Cam Smith, like to get a bit of a taste for, you know, what's out there in this golfing world. It's pretty phenomenal. And I think, you know, there's, there's lots of shiny things that you can have out there, but, you know, these people are, you know, great people at the same time. And that's probably what strikes me. Um, yeah, there's this genuine person to this rock star living an awesome life. And that's, that's something that I value pretty high. And, you know, someone like Ricky is, uh, he's, he's huge. I think, I don't think he's done. I think he's got plenty left in him. Me too. <laughs> he's, I think he's just sorting his life out. You know, there's playing golf's pretty cool, but, you know, the human comes first and he's got a partner. He's got a, he's got a family. Um, and I think once all that's kind of rosy, the golf kind of takes care of itself. So. And I think the fact of the matter is, uh, Louis, he's won five times in the PGA Tour, which is five more times than a shitload of other people. So exactly. he's, he's clearly a talented player. I, I actually think it's quite a testament to him as an individual. And you give a little insight there to the person behind the player. But the fact that he is where he is now from a form perspective, which is relatively out in the woods, if we're honest, taking a look back at the last 12 months. But just he is still so universally popular irrespective really of how he's playing on the course. And I, I think that the person that you spoke about there, um, the fact that, you know, you can be a, a period of time before he receives a message from some kid he met at Royal Pines on uh, caddying for an amateur and a pro-am and, and to reach out and welcome him and his father to play at medalist, I, I think speaks volumes of the individual. And I personally, and we've spoken about it a few times on this show, I think golf owes a great debt of gratitude to Ricky in the sense that, and, and this is regardless of where he finishes his career from a wins perspective, but the people that he's brought to the game and the people that he's kept in the game by virtue of him as a person, I think the game owes him a great deal. Oh, I couldn't agree anymore. I think there's been a lot of players that have been able to shape the way golf's going. Like, you know, you've got Bryson coming through now, Tiger in his prime. Um, I, I think there's something to be said for Ricky about, you know, the style that he brought to golf. Um, there's this there, there's this cool persona that he brings, and I think that's what's attracted a lot of, I think a lot of juniors especially, but a lot of other athletes to the game. Um, and as I said, it just he kind of he, he's made golf cool, and he's made it, you know, more sellable to a to a junior or to a yeah to someone who's getting into golf that that doesn't view golf as a yeah, as an old person's game or, you know, there is that. Yeah, it speaks volumes of, of who he is and what he's trying to accomplish in golf. You mentioned Cam Smith. Obviously, uh, you spent a bit of time with him, as you said, yourself and, and Jed Morgan, both as recipients of his scholarship uh, a week over there with him in Florida. Uh, I understand practicing um, at TPC Sawgrass. So probably first and foremost, talk to us about Sawgrass because it's a place we see quite often on the television um, and really probably ogle out here as, as Australian golf fans. We don't get to see many courses like that um, other than through the television screen. So first and foremost, tell us about the course and then I want to talk to you a bit about Cam. Yeah, so I was, yeah, when I went over there and played, or when Jed and I went over there and played, that was a bit of an eye-opener to, to what a proper in the nicest way possible, a proper golf course, you know, tournament <laughs> course setup is like. 
Um, like, and that, that's no disrespect, but America just does it, you know, extremely different. Like, there's a lot of, as I said before, there's a lot of shiny things you get over there. And um, there's so much history to that golf course. Like, I was, I was lucky enough. I got to play the junior players there in 2019 um, when it was in a tournament condition. This was after the cam trip. And, you know, going through that clubhouse, there's a serious amount of history. And, you know, the I think I read something in the clubhouse, like the, the land, when it was bought, the land was only worth like a dollar, which would have been, um, that would have been a hundred odd years ago. Um, there's, there's a lot of history to it. And I think the way it's been shaped through the PGA Tour to accommodate, you know, hundreds of thousands of people is just phenomenal. And, yeah, the condition is just silly but when we went over with Cam we were lucky enough to get to the back range where the PJ Tour Pros and the Corn Ferry Pros train and I, I think Cam's actually a good mate to one of the green keepers there and he's, I think he was saying there's something like eight green staff that just look after the driving range and yeah that's yeah mind boggling to me <laughs> and t- tell us like, a bit that's more than like some courses have <laughs> yeah well Tell us a little bit about Cam because I think it's it's probably ironic we come off the back of talking about Ricky because I think they're quite similar in how genuine they are but couldn't be more polar opposite in the sense that Ricky is an out-and-out rock star and Cam, I think, is the personification of, of the phrase, you can take the, the boy out of one teamer in this instance, but you can't take one teamer out of the boy. Like you, you, you wouldn't be surprised if you ran into Cam in Saturday Penance down at your local club. That's how I think relatable he is to the everyday golf fan here in Australia, which is why I think he's so popular. He seems to be an incredibly down-to-earth guy um, and not at all um, you know, too happy with his, his immense talent that he has. Yeah, so with Cam, I think there's this un, undescribable amount of talent. Like when Jed and I were there, we were like we had our jaws to the ground just watching him practice, like watching him hit these certain shots they were telling him to do. Or you know, we played, I think we played three different courses or three different rounds, you know, consecutively. And two of the days he had, I think one round he had ten under, and the next round he had nine under. And we were kind of just watching, like, you know, this guy is unbelievable. Like, but then we'd be in the car, car ride on the way home or back at his place. And, you know, as you've just said, like, he's just this genuine down to earth, you know, one team of Bogan that <laughs> given, given two other Bogans a chance to come see what his life's like. And, you know, I'm, I'm in awe of his lifestyle because he's, I'm pretty heavy into cars and he's, he's lucky enough to have a few pretty cool toys. So, um, you know, off the golf course, he's, he's, yeah, he's just this one team of boy that's got a couple of puppies and yeah, some pretty cool cars. That's, that's what I like. We've heard you, uh, you've got an interesting cars and I'm sure we'll get to that uh, a little later on as well. But what, I, I suppose, what did you take away from that experience, Louis? I mean, it, it would have been a whirlwind for you seeing, I guess what PGA tour life is like for even just for a short period of time. But what did you take away from that experience? Um, I, I, my eyes definitely got opened as to what's out there. Like, um, you know, Cam and I both get coached off Grant Field, who's out at Pelican waters. Um, and, you know, being under Grant's watch for me is quite, you know, comforting feeling knowing that he's seen, you know, what it takes to get out, you know, to the big leagues, I guess. And, yeah, as I said with Ricky as well, there's this lifestyle that these guys get to live, which is, you know, just the reason that, you know, you want to play, you want to, you want to practice and you want to compete. Like, they're at the pinnacle of, of the pointy end of golf and, you know, to see that's where it can take you is, you know, that opened both Jed and I, our eyes up, you know, ridiculous because that was something that we've never got to see. And even even being in America, like, you know, golf golf is considered as a, as a major sport over there, whereas in Australia I feel the way it's viewed is 
I guess gets pushed to the to the side, if not, you know, the back of the newspaper. It's it's not a headlining sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's definitely changing as time's gone on. But you know, the way golf is viewed over there and the lifestyle that a, a, a PGA Tour pro gets to live is, you know, considered just as good as a you know an American football or an NBA star or um, yeah. To me, I just view it as they're all rock stars. And that's where we come in, Louis. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to <laughs> trying to change the perception of the game a little bit because um, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there that there is a little bit of work to do. Um, let's round things back a little bit because we we always do this. We end up going in different tangents. I want to talk to you about Brookwater. How did you end up uh, becoming a member out there? And then I have some questions on the course because I managed to play it last year when I was over in Queensland for work, and it was probably one of the worst golfing days I've ever had from a scoring perspective, beautiful course, beautiful clubhouse, but Jesus, it spit me out very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah. It's a, um, it's a tough one. I think I reckon I, my mum moved out here when I was yeah, just starting actually. And that's how I got to know Josh. We literally moved two doors down from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how, you know, I got playing more and, you know, he was there to take me out to play that, you know, this challenging course. Um, and there's a lot of things you get to do at Brookwater on the golf course that is, you know, I feel like you don't get to learn at many golf courses um, in terms of, you know, chipping out from the trees or losing 15 golf balls in a round. Mm-hmm. Like, you, don't, you don't get many like that. And, yeah, there's that. no matter how many times I play it, I, I've never found it easy. Like, there's, yeah. There's holes that they just, it just catches you out, and yeah, there's a phenomenal landscape here, and Greg Norman's done an awesome job at, you know, zigzagging his way through the forest, and you know it's probably a bit different even since you were here, um, probably 12 months ago. There's been a lot of development um, in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the area we're living in at the moment. It's it's expanding quite quite greatly, and um, I, I remember when I first started playing here. Um, so many tree line holes, like you can't see any holes from another hole, and that that's pretty unique. I don't know many golf courses in Australia that are like that. Um, yeah, it's like this tunnel kind of vision down most holes, and um, yeah, you definitely get to be pretty creative out here. That's for sure. Is there a particular hole? We have a lot of listeners from Queensland, which is absolutely fantastic. Do, is there a particular hole that people might resonate with, or one that you? you love getting to every time you get on the course? Because for me, I walked away. I mean, what's the what's the corner that they call? Is it Shark Corner or something? What, is it 14, 15, 16 or 15, 16, yeah. 17? So you've got the Shark Alley, I think. It's yes, called. yes. So, yeah, you play – yeah, as you come off 14 green, there's a little sign saying you've entered the Shark Alley. And I think 15, 16, 17, or oh, that stretch coming in is pretty – I feel like no matter how good you're playing, you always probably get a little bit tense coming down those holes. <laughs> I agree. My, my, my favourite hole, I reckon, because no matter how good or bad you're playing, the, the eighth hole, and I think there's a few boys that are from Brookwater that will probably resonate with me here, but you just get to like beat the shit out of a driver down that hole and there's because there's not many drivers you get to hit. No. And... Down eight is just kind of when you you can unleash some anger or you can you know kick something around or because you can it's quite a good drive that probably leaves you you know two iron four iron in kind of thing um and yeah I think the fifth hole to me is a great golf hole that par three down the hill yes don't miss left otherwise you end up down the bank which is where I think I ended up I love number three that was my I walked away with that with the big valley. Um, yeah, hitting down here. I thought that was I thought that was a great one as well. Um, tell us about playing at Brookwater. I suppose that's where I guess you you you, you sort of developed your craft in many ways, and and you started to I guess take it a little more seriously. Would you say that? And 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 how I suppose do you do you look back on your time at Brookwater? Of course, you're still a member there, but how do you you take a take a look back at that now? Um, I think it's been as you've just said, like it's it's crafted, you know. A lot of different golf shots and that's it's something yeah you can't learn on a straightforward golf course you know hooking one around the trees or punching out through a golf ball 
I think, yeah, it's it's been pretty critical to building my tools tool set. Um, yeah, it, it's just a it's it been a pleasure to play here because there's a lot of good members that are, you know, behind the game and you know behind the social aspect and um, there's always been a tournament where either members come to watch if they're in the town at the same time or you know there's a bit of a bit of a culture I guess growing up around here that is pretty rare for for Queensland I think there's not many golf courses that probably are able to to yeah, develop that kind of culture for the game I was going to say to you because you're also a uh, a member there at, at Brisbane. Um, ironically, down here in Brisbane uh, is the 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 city's golf course. You won the, uh, the the championship there last year, five and three over your QAS teammate Laurie Flynn in the 36 hole final. But courses like these, whether it's Brisbane, whether it's uh, you know whether it's Brookwater, um, when Jed was on, he said the same thing about Royal Queensland where he's at. They tend to really pump up their amateurs who are successful they really get around them there's that culture of wanting to ensure that you know they put their best foot forward and and it must be nice you know when you're on that precipice where you are now between having an incredible run of success at an amateur level and probably starting to really think strongly about making that move to professional to have that safety net of you know your clubs like your Brookwaters and your Brisbane's who seemingly have a whole bunch of people willing to you know put their hand up and support you yeah definitely there's at Brisbane Golf Club, there's this awesome um, competitive atmosphere. There's a lot, there's a lot more depth in the club golf kind of. Um, I mean, that just kind of happens as a as a bigger membership, you know, appears because I think at Brookwater we've only got probably 400, 500 members at the moment, which is actually growing quite a bit in the last couple of years. But I think Brisbane is probably you know, one of the I'd say twelve, thirteen hundred number. So there's a lot more players that are you know getting good at golf and getting competitive and they just appreciate kind of good golf and that club championship final that Laurie and I got to play was pretty special. There was, I reckon coming down the last few holes, we would have had, yeah, well over a hundred people coming out and, you know, there's not, I don't feel like there's many golf courses that there's this huge appreciation for good golf and, you know, the members to come out and watch and, see the places that we hit it to or, you know, get to relate to, you know, the game we're playing compared to them, they can kind of relate and they can kind of, they can see what they can learn and they can, I guess, as, you know, as I said, just appreciate watching some good golf. You mentioned Laurie there and we spoke a little bit at the QAS. It's been an incredible nursery, the QAS, in the last couple of years. And I think, Really, when you when you consider purely by volume of number of people, how it produces talent um, over and above, say um, you know N Swiss or the or the BIS, similar systems. What is it about the QIS uh, nursery that you think you know leads to such uh, dominant success? Not only in the last few years, but if you look back, you know probably over the last couple of decades, the names that have come through that that program. I think um, the the team dynamic that we have is probably quite unique, and I think. It probably happens throughout Australia, but, you know, the ability for us to, you know, hang shit on each other is something that we will never, I guess, take for granted. And I think no matter how good or bad you're playing, you have a teammate to, I guess, bring you back down to earth. And, like, you're, you're all part of a team there. No one's, no one's vertically positioned above one another. It's And every player there has this ability to play golf, like an extreme ability to play good golf. And, you know, no one, we we do play every now and then. We might chuck a couple of dollars in and no one likes losing money. And when there's a person that you don't like losing money to, it makes it even more annoying, like dead. Um, but, yeah, there's this ability to, this competitiveness that we've created is, yeah. And I think that's a huge credit to Grant and Tony, um, our head coaches and Richard Woodhouse as well. So, yeah, having having those guys in control and you know guiding us as to how we how we should practice, how we should prep, prepare for events, um, and more more importantly, just guiding us through this unique thing that we're doing. Like, it's a pretty unique lifestyle to 
to have and you know people that understand what we do is pretty yeah i guess just grounding louis let's go to 2016 specifically october and specifically at royal wellington golf club uh, golf club there um the winner of the New Zealand Amateur Championship, if you don't mind. I mean, you'd won previously in 2015. You'd won the Queensland Boys Amateur, um, which is which is a fantastic feat. But I, I imagine for you to go over to New Zealand and take their national amateur title must have been something very sweet. Particularly when I'm just looking back through the uh, through the players there, there was only a handful of Aussies in the field. So that's always nice when the Aussies go over and knock the Kiwis off on their uh, home turf as well. Yeah, I think. Um... I think to this day, there's probably not many Kiwis that are happy with me, but <laughs> it, it actually turned out pretty well because I was the priority for me to going there was I was over there with my old man and we went to see, you know, his side of the family. And it just turned out really well because it was, you know, the NZM was on and, you know, we're all in town at the same time. So um, to play golf in front of, because my whole dad's side's from, from literally across the road from Royal Wellington. So, to have, I guess, them come out and see what I do is pretty cool as well because, as I said before, golf's a pretty unique thing and it's a, the way it's viewed is, yeah, very different. So, yeah, I think to this day, I've actually created a lot of Kiwi friends, but there's probably a lot that don't really like me for that fact that I was only one of a handful of Aussies there and to come out on top, I think I probably earned a little bit of respect for them from them. <laughs> That's good. Uh, well, I mean, we're huge at New Zealand, so that'll go down well. Um, <laughs> Louis, you've spent uh, doing another little scroll through the uh, the Instagram. You have spent a little bit of time, obviously, you've got a bit of family, as you mentioned, in uh, in in Wellington. But you spent a little bit of time down in Queenstown. I saw the saw the photo of Jack's Point, which don't get me wrong, delightful course. I loved it, uh, and I think everyone who goes to Queenstown silly to miss it. One understand he's played a little bit more golf outside of Jack's Point in Queenstown. And, and Nathan knows exactly where he's fucking going. going. Um, but I, I just want to understand what other golf you might have played in Queenstown, whether there was a visit to Millbrook, uh, maybe even the Hills, or, or a humble little golf course by the name of Arrowtown Golf Club about 25 minutes outside of Queenstown. No, so I've, I haven't played Arrowtown, but I was actually – I got to play the NZ Open at Millbrook Hills in 20 – would be early 2017. And my uncle came down to watch and he, I remember him playing Arrowtown and he, he ranked pretty highly on it. But I, I, from what I've heard, yeah, from what I've heard, I, I think it can be a little bit of a, a challenging golf course for, for you boys. What's uh, what's your uncle's name? Because I think we should have him on. To have a com- Maybe him and I can just do a deep dive into our, I, I am an unabashed fan. As, as I said, you know, I said to you, Nathan knows where this is going and the people listening over the hundred odd episodes we've done have uh, probably grown tired of me talking and pumping up Arrowtown Golf Club, but easily ranks in my top three golf courses I've ever played. And I played it uh, a day before I played Jack's Point and I'd play Arrowtown nine days out of 10 before I played Jack's Point again. It's a phenomenal place. That, that's awesome. I think there's so many good courses down there. And I guess by the sounds of it, you've had a pretty good experience out there against your mate here. Um, so that, yeah, there's, a, I think with golf, like a lot of good golf courses, for me, there's an emotional attachment to, to the way a golf course is rather than you know, 100%. the physical, <laughs> the physical, um, you know, landscapes and designs and whatever you want to call it. And I think, yeah, if you've had a good memory somewhere, that probably ranks it higher than, as you said, even Jack's, a course like Jack's Point, which is phenomenal. Honestly, Lou, he doesn't shut the fuck up about it. Seriously. You need that though. <laughs> Not this much. <laughs> when did you play? That would have been, how long ago was that? Oh, look, I was there. It was New Year's 2018 leading into 2019. Um, so, yeah, look, I, it, it's, it, I just think it's wildly underrated, um, the South Island for, for courses. I mean, you mentioned your experience at the New Zealand Open, those courses down there between Millbrook and and the hills, and the hills obviously, um, you know, immensely private. Not many people get the opportunity to go inside the gates of the hills. Um, two incredible courses. Jack's Point, you know, hitting back towards the lake there is is amongst the most stunning, um, you know, views I've had the privilege of playing. For mine, though, it's it's the it's the it's the smaller courses. You know, it's Queenstown Golf Club, which exists on that little island, and it's your Arrow Towns that you have to drive, you know, twenty five minutes out to find 
these hidden gems that don't necessarily get the headlines of the others. But in, in terms of its depth, you know, to have five or six courses like that in a little, you know, ski town, for want of a better word, like Queenstown's amazing. 100%. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. I think, like, that area itself, as you've just said, it's it's this phenomenal, you know, ski kind of resorty tourist place. And, yeah, you know, like, courses like Arrowtown. What's the other one across the lake or on the lake there? Yeah, that's, that's Queenstown Golf Club. Um, yeah, which is the little one on the island there, yeah. Yeah, even that, I've heard that. My mum and dad went over there when I was playing and they said it was phenomenal. Well, there you go. I'm just very jealous, to be honest, Louie. That's probably the main <laughs> reason that I get stuck in a marshy all the time. But he does talk about it a lot, which is absolutely okay because I do the same about a couple of courses over here yeah, in Perth that I get to. Um, anyway, this podcast isn't about us or any golf that we play because, we're, to be honest, we're shit at golf. So um, this is about we'd be, you. We'd be happy to have a chat to Tourism New Zealand, though, if they're interested in taking us on a little trip somewhere. More than happy. Anywhere. Pay to play Tourism New Zealand. Yeah, pay to play. Um, we can take Louis with us. He can show us how to actually play. Um, all right, let's talk about playing golf overseas in, in 2019, mate, because you, you played a fair bit. You went over and played the Dutch International Junior Open, and then you had a pretty hectic um, few weeks playing in the English Boys Open in the amateur stroke play there. And then the Scottish Men's Amateur, the RNA Boys Amateur, and the Junior Players Championship to finish it up in the States. A, a pretty hectic sort of six weeks that you were over there for playing some phenomenal courses. I mean, the one that caught my eye was, uh, was the, the fact that you played Crail uh, in the Scottish Men's Amateur Championship, which, was, which uh, looks phenomenal in itself. But more importantly, some really good results, particularly in, in Scotland and England there. Yeah, so that was actually, yeah, that was a really fun run of events. Um, that was, I think, playing, the first one I played was the Dutch. And I think that was my first event, like, Big event in a long time. I had an elbow surgery the end of 20, what did I graduate? 2018. Um, and I was out for a little while. And to get overseas for, you know, mid-2019, yeah, that was that was for me good just to be able to play some golf again because I've been on the, on the sidelines for a while. And as the trip went on, I found a bit more game and I got to, got to go to some pretty cool places and do what I love. You certainly did. Um, was there one of those courses that sort of stood out to you that you got there? I mean, uh, playing some of those Lynx courses, I mean, particularly like Crail, um, is pretty phenomenal. A very different golf to what we're used to here in Australia. I mean, we talk about, we talk about, um, I guess, Lynx golf here in Australia, but I, in many ways it doesn't really exist. I mean, we've got some courses that are pretty close to it, maybe down in Tassie, but uh, I, I imagine very different golf to what you're used to playing back here in Australia. Yeah. When I, when I was in Scotland, yeah, for Crail, um, I think I probably got the wrong view of Scotland because there was a, a week period where we had this unbelievable run of like mid-20s sun weather that Scotland is certainly not known for. So my experience there was like, it was great because I hate shit weather. It's, you don't want to be playing in golf. If you do, you're pretty crazy. Um but yeah, we had this awesome run of event or run of weather, and Crail becomes quite—I wouldn't say short, but it becomes there's a there's a two courses there. I forgot what they're both called, but one of them becomes quite short when there's no wind, but when the prevailing wind's on, it's this completely different, challenging golf course. Like there was times where I'd be hitting like a—I hit a couple holes downwind. I hit this two iron that went literally like. I'd say 380 meters downhill, downwind. It just runs. And then we had another day where I hit, like, I literally hit a seven iron from like 75 meters. Um, and that that diversity, yeah, as you said, you probably want to get that maybe in Fuzzy or, yeah, these lengthy style courses that you, you don't know until you're actually on it. Now, we, we've probably. We've avoided the obvious question, really, for the best part of 50-odd minutes, Louis, and, and I, I think it's it's probably time where we steered towards the conversation around, uh, you know, leading into the decision to turn professional because what we've done is speak, you know, in chapter and verse about the incredible resume you've built as an amateur. Um, there's still some experiences to go, I'm sure, that you'd like to, to tick off, but when you're in a position like you're in where, you know, success at the amateur level is not in question and your ability to achieve against your peers at this level 
um, you know, ha- you know, is there for all to see. But you have to make that leap. What are the types of things that you're, I suppose, considering? Who is it that you're seeking counsel from? What leads to a, you know, a pretty central decision in your, you know, what will be your next few years? Yeah. So this, like, last year was pretty important for me. I'm even now still creating, you know, my team and the people that I that I listen to and respect and the ones that have input on, you know, the direction I'm going. So pretty important, you know, creating that team. And I think we've all kind of agreed that, you know, by the end of this year, all being well, maybe make that decision, that next leap. Um, I'm hoping, I'm planning to be able to go to the States for a couple months this year to play in a pretty good run of amateur events. So, you know, all being well, um, you know, there's still talks of, you know, the Asian amateur and stuff up in the air at the moment and um, like the Eisenhower Trophy and stuff like that. Those are things that I want to be able to do. I want to, you know, represent my country as an amateur and um, there is things that I do want to tick off, Um, you know, whether COVID affects, whether I can... Be able to, well, whether I can play those things or not. Um, yeah, the biggest thing is, you know, mentally knowing that I'm kind of ready. Um, you know, I had a good mate say to me a little while ago that, you know, age kind of didn't really matter when I was, you know, he, he kind of said, if you're good enough, you're old enough. So I was kind of, when I put that into perspective, it kind of gave me a bit of confidence, you know, not putting my age to it and kind of just getting, getting out to the big world and trying to prove myself out there. Um, yes, there's so many little things that I'm trying to do. I'm always trying to get better and, you know, I I know I've had a pretty good little run, but there's so many things that I've noted as these events have gone on for me to improve on. And, you know, if, if all being well by the end of the year, if, if I'm ticking those boxes, I'm, I'm pretty keen to get going in the big world. Was college ever an option? For you, Louis, because I'm just going through your Instagram here again and um, noted a few posts here with a with a bloke who could have the best name in golf in Cannon Claycomb down at uh, down at the University of Alabama down there, followed by Justin Thomas and the USGA. If you don't mind, uh, was college ever an option for you to head over there and play in the states? I mean, offers coming in, etc. Yeah, there, there was a time where there was a few um, good schools lined up. Um, the biggest thing was I had to, I had to kind of weigh it up um, for what I was getting in Australia um, as to what you'd, you'd be provided over there. And I think the way I weighed it up was that, um, you know, the systems that the Aussies have in place now are pretty valuable and, um, you know, the programs like QIS or what used to be the national squad, things like that, where there's that support for the amateurs coming through and I've spoke to a lot of guys as well that if the systems were the same back then, they wouldn't have gone to college. Um, college provides so many opportunities to play in tournaments, which is even still like I'm still jealous that there's, you know, there's probably 15 A-grade events through there somewhere that they get to play that's blocked off to, to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And that, that competitive, you know, nature as well as the – you know, the four years that you get to live over there. Yeah, there's so many things that this, yeah, there's, there's so many pros and cons to it. But the way I weighed it up was that, yeah, growing up through the Aussie system was the way I wanted to go. And, um, and I, I don't think I'd change that. I think that I've become quite self motivated and, and yeah, I've definitely grown up a lot more here than I probably ever could have imagined. Which, which schools were coming after you, Louis? Um, I don't really know if I'm allowed to say, but there was a few good ones. Uh, Div one, obviously, that were quite interested, and I did actually go look at a couple. But yeah, that the American the American way. There's so many big shiny things that can attract you, but there's so many at the same time things that might put you off. Or yeah. But yeah, there was a lot of really cool opportunities to come up. I'll just say that. Very diplomatic of you, Louis. Well, well handled. Well handled. Uh, we don't. We, we don't want to. Uh, we don't. Definitely don't want to get you in trouble. So it's that's well done. Now, you've been incredibly generous with your time. I want to finish on. Uh, we reached out to a good friend of you, good friend of this show, Jed Morgan. 
uh, prior to having you on this evening, just to see if you had any suggestions about some some things we could, uh, you know, and some some areas we could take the conversation. So he came back to me late this afternoon. Uh, I've just got a handful here that I want to put to you. Um, he said that you're obsessed with your, uh, he said, commie wagon. Yeah. Now, I want to know if this commie wagon is the same car that appears in an Instagram photo from the 4th of September 2018 with you uh, straddling the bonnet, holding a P plate, a clear photo of a uh, Dobbs, spelt D-O-88-Z, uh, personalised plate, and the caption of when mum doesn't need to drop you off anymore. Hashtag winning. Is this the commie wagon? Um, yeah, that, that is the, the wagon we speak of. <laughs> <laughs> That's outstanding. Well, we, we obviously touched a little earlier on on your, your passion for cars. Um, they feature heavily in the Instagram feed, but that's my favourite. So more broadly, it's obviously a passion of yours away from the course. Yeah, so, yeah, I think no matter what, um, in the car scene, there's always there's always that better car or that bigger car, the faster car. And for me, it's either the louder car or the lower car that probably attracts me. And that more the more bogan it is, the better. So I think... There's something to be said about Commodores, and now that they're not being made anymore, you know, it makes me want to hold on to mine for a little bit longer. Collector's item, if you will. Present. Yes. Uh, the other thing he, the, the other thing that he said, uh, you have quite a uh, an opposition. Uh, almost seems like an allergy um, to vegetables. Is this correct? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I didn't think it was humanly, you know, possible that you could be allergic to vegetables but yeah something's just happened as i've grown up it's just yeah despise them said uh it, it even stretched so far that you were forced to make your own pizza last time you were billeting together down in melbourne uh for risk of of having any sort of vegetable appear on on your plate uh, un- unfortunately when people when people like jed say things like this it's yeah untruthful things when when the when the offer's there from a billet you can't say no and you know you want things made your way and if i have the choice to eat something delicious rather than vomiting over some vegetables i'd much rather that and just finally louis um it was a pretty pretty simple last one he said he eats a shitload of subway maybe raise some questions there yeah i mean if if you've got any subway sponsors or anyone watching (laughs) Tell them to hit me up on my Instagram. Um, <laughs> What's your order? Uh, at the moment, I've been going uh, chicken, chicken bacon ranch. So yeah, yeah strip chicken, bacon. There'd be no fucking lettuce on there, let me tell you, or any carrots or anything like that. No, so what, what I do is I ask for it, but then when, it, when I get outside, I just rip it all off. And... <laughs> <laughs> you can just say, no, thanks. I'll just have a bit of salt and pepper, a bit of ranch sauce, thanks. Literally, well, when there's when there's people in Subway, you feel embarrassed by not getting any vegetables. You feel like a child for any salad, sorry. So, to make myself look a little better, I get some. I go lettuce, um, carrot, a few jalapenos, and it all comes off. I reckon you'd spend more time picking the pieces of vegetables than actually eating the sub. That's outstanding. Yeah, yeah. I just want to. It was funny. Even on the last week, on the eight, on the first tee of the final round, I um. Subway, it's it's one of those things. It's just everywhere, so it's quite convenient to be able to get one on on the way to golf for the last time. Tee off, and I was I, I think there's a photo of me. I've got a six inch sub in my hand, and I'm just eating it. I'm first tee waiting to go. So if, if there's any Subway sponsors out there that are looking for a you know a young a young golfer, hit me up. I was just about to say, I look forward to seeing the Subway logo on your sleeve in 2022 after you've turned professional. I'll be I outstanding. Just, I just want to be like Happy Gilmore. That's all I want. <laughs> uh, and we do, uh, we do thank uh, Jed Morgan for having his place in this in this conversation. It was very good of Jed to uh, spare some time to send through some some conversation starters about his good mate uh, Louis Dobler. Now, Louis. Uh, just finally, what do the next few weeks look like? Obviously, um, you've wrapped up down there now with the Australian Amateur, uh, I understand. Heading north, both New South Wales and then Queensland after that. Yeah, so, yeah, those two events. Um, yeah, the big one's added to the calendar. They're both quite strong. 
uh, restoration to events. So, yeah, the more I get to mix in with the pros this year, the better. Um, the smoother the transition will be, hopefully, towards the end of the year. Um, there's a couple of events that I'm waiting to hear back on, but um, yeah, this last kind of few days has been pretty crazy, and the schedule has changed a little bit. Um, based on, you know, what I'm trying to come up planning. So it's funny with golf, you know, you can you can plan as far ahead as you want, but, yeah, every now and then, little things leapfrog, and, yeah, it's pretty cool. Just finally on the, the Queensland Open coming up, um, which, which you'll be a part of, I know we spoke about what it means to you to win an Australian amateur, but what would, it, what would it mean to you to win your, your home state open? I know, you know, cast the mind back 12 months and Anthony Quayle, um, created champion. You spoke a lot about um, it being a, an extra special tournament when doing it um, in front of family and friends and in, in, in the Queensland backyard. So I no doubt you want to put your best foot forward come the Queensland open up there at Pelican Waters. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do like enough because my coach Grant Field works out of there. So, you know, the, the more times I can get up to see him in the preparation for that, the better. So, uh, yeah, to compete in an event like that would be pretty special. Um, you know, the, yeah, the goal the goal every week is to win. Um, but, yeah, not setting an expectation to to myself that he wins or not. But I'll be giving the run off that competition. Well, we can't wait to see what the future has in store for you, mate. Big, big year coming up. Uh, obviously, hopefully plenty of events. No more COVID disruptions um, is what we've got our fingers crossed for. Hopefully plenty of success for yourself. Um, hopefully uh, things all go to plan towards the end of the year. We look forward to keeping an eye on your career and, and, and an eye on uh, an announcement about turning pro, which we're, we're very excited for you, mate. Thanks for jumping on and having a chat to us here at the 19th Tee. We really, really enjoyed it and appreciate your time. No worries, boys. Thanks for having me.